This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hey there, it's me, Chris, and we're back. This is part two of our segment on digital project management. If you didn't listen to part one, well, you should probably start with that one because they are best enjoyed in chronological order. Again, joining us are Krista Ariaga-Volker and Alita Fullenweider to talk about digital project management from the perspective of producers. All right, let's get to it. All right, well, we are back with Krista and Alita, project managers. We're going to continue talking about project management. Um, We sort of got up to content in the last episode, and we're going to pick this one up with user experience and move on to design and development. All right, you guys, so um, let's talk about user experience. How does the user experience process work for from a project management perspective? So this is the point at which the clients usually get really excited. Um, this is when they start the all the research and all the talking and all the meetings and them sending over vast amounts of assets. This is when things start getting a little bit more solidified. At this point, you know, We've done our user interviews. We've done a tremendous amount of research. Uh, We've learned more about the industry that our client works in. We've learned a tremendous amount about our client. And so at this point, we start putting together, we really move into the UX phase of it. And we start looking at uh, sitemaps and user flows and wireframes. Yeah, those are our common deliverables. Um, I have this fun fact that I like to share that interactive uh, products, which can be applications or websites or um, all in that, you know, they're used, they're not consumed like the digital ads or radio ads or even print ads that we see. So it's really fun to go through this phase um, so that we find out what the user, you know, doesn't want to do with whatever we're building or does want to do with it. Um, what are the in- intentions for them and, and what are the expectations? So in this phase, we we often together with the client find out a lot of things that we didn't, we weren't expecting to find out. Hence, user experience. (laughs) So for our internal teams, this is when we start spending a lot of time in meeting rooms that have gigantic whiteboards. You know, you start, you know, breaking out the markers and staring intently and like frowning and walking around. And, you know, somebody's like, no, I think the user is going to come in here. And you just kind of identify, start identifying where's the user coming from when they're landing on your, your digital product. You know, is it another website? Is it an email, you know, banner ad? Or is it, you know, going to be just a pure, you know, mobile application. So once we've identified that, that's the starting point, and then we start, you know, kind of laying out a rough draft of what that user flow would look like, um, which also helps us develop um, the wireframes for the product that we're building. Yeah, and that's a a lot of the tactile stuff. We also start asking those fun questions of how do you think the user is going to feel when they're here, right? Or what do you think they're thinking? Or do you think they're frustrated? Do you think they like this they're going to like the solution. You know, all these fun things that you just don't know and you start to get to, get to play with, um, especially when I said earlier, you know, you make your UX person your best friend. It's just fascinating to me personally and to us mm-hmm. um, from with the product or the producer and project manager lens um, because we're part of everything, but we're not the ones in this phase that actually 100% take the stage. Uh, but we get to be in the background really doing a lot of extensive thinking and strategizing and... And pointing out that they probably missed something. Like, hey, you know, like, where's the back button? Like, 
How are they going to, like, <laughs> what if they have a question? This doesn't make any sense. Or what if they're looking for this, you know? And so a lot of times, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we didn't think about that. Or, oh, silly, it's right down there. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, is, that is very, very true. I think our project manager does a lot of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, once you, you know, come up kind of with a user flow and maybe, you know, an initial site map, that's when you would start going back to your client and showing them. At that point, you know, usually they're nodding their head or, you know, it's one of two reactions, nodding their head or, you know, no, you guys totally missed the ball. Um, you know, hey, silly monkeys, we told you this before. Um, and then, you know, go back and either revise it or continue to work through um through the process. Um, a lot of clients have a hard time kind of understanding what a sitemap, they're like, no, that's not a website. And you're like, I know it's not a website. You know, this is just kind of the scaffolding. And we work with a very intelligent um, individual who's got a great way of explaining it to clients. And he's like, these are the, the bones of the house. You know, we're just, we're building, this is the, the wood frame. We're going to fill it in later, but right now we have to get the structure in place. And um, clients seem to understand that a little bit better than just handing them, you know, just these like boxes with words in it, you know, that lead to other boxes with other words. Yeah, I, we've struggled with that with the, with the site mapping process a lot of times people have for whatever reason our clients have a real struggle like not understanding that is this the navigation bar you know yeah. it's like <laughs> no, like we're just trying to organize the content exactly okay. yeah and how somebody if if you you know when you're building something you want people to do you know you're building a digital project product because you want somebody to do something with it don't just you know present them with a website and be like here you figure it out you know you need to kind of guide your users through it so what is the end goal that you want your users to take away from this do you want them to complete a form do you want a survey do you want them to buy something and they need to be thinking of that in mind and our you know ux people always have that in the back of their mind as the goal yeah it's great they love um or actually and even in my one-on-ones with a client um i'll try to give them something they can really hold on to and then so they make a comparison to it's it's actually like think of an architecture you know that it's your blueprint and then we're going to get to where we start filling the house that we're going to build together with the furniture and then we're going to start painting the walls right like that's the process and you know if you break it down like that it's it's a little bit more manageable for them to understand because pretty much everyone's familiar with Blueprints. Yeah, yeah. Right? like there's a house, there's an apartment, there's a building. That's how it's. But for some reason, it's just really scary um, in the digital space. Maybe it's because it's not tangible. But it's also a really beautiful thing to tell them that in this phase in UX, it's made of wire, and you can we can break it. You know, it's easily. It, we're not going to build yet. This is the time to tear down the blueprint and then redraw it together if right. we don't think something's working. And then there's also lots of tactics that we use with like rapid prototyping. That's really fun, kind of expensive, but worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have the budget, there's paper prototyping. There's no reason why you can't get in a room with a big desk and start post-it noting or papering out like your site and playing with where you think the navigation should be or the contact us button should be. You know, if it's on a post-it, it's okay to rip up and throw away, uh, right. which is really, really fun to do. Uh, we also rely heavily in this phase on building up personas. And then you take the persona and you carry it with you throughout the rest. Krista, uh, Krista does a great job and and thanks. identifying them and bringing them to life. You know, no longer is it like, you know, Susie who's just coming to, you know, you know, get a quote for, you know, some new tires, you know, she's like, Susie has a life of her own. And, and it really helps clients, I think, um, envision what they need to do and how to move through the, the process. Yeah, I think personas in this phase are often um, 
they're built and then we present them and then they're forgotten about. So what I try from a producer role is to always have my clients and the team get attached to that persona mm -hmm. so then we can remember uh, them throughout the rest. And um, Lita alluded to me kind of making it fun. This last project I did, we had uh, like Frida Kahlo was <laughs> one. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you can't forget that. Like you can't forget her. So when I'm in, um, in, a, in a presentation where we need to reference it, I will print out Frida's face and put her up next to the screen so that we know everyone wear your Frida hats right now because the, these are the tasks that we're trying to accomplish with as her. Um, which has, I found to be has really successful, enlightens the mood, <laughs> and gets the clients kind of excited yeah. to be a part of a very scary process. How, how detailed do you get with your personas? You know, are you creating an actual image of someone of a pretend person, or are you like? I like to use fam my family members. It's easy. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So for me, I was working on a project with a um, a healthcare company, and so it was more. Um, the, the product was for older individuals. So I used all the, my aunts and uncles and my mom. And so, you know, it's like age and like, you know, where, where they're at in the demographic, you know, lens. So age and where they work and how close they are to retiring. And these are the things that they enjoy doing. And this is how tech savvy they are, you know, because in, in digital that, that comes up, you mm -hmm. know, so you have to think about the product that you're building in the audience. And then what, what about the people that don't fit in your audience? How are they going to how is this product going to translate to them? Um, in terms of how detailed we get, that always comes back to how much time and money do you have. Right, right, totally. <laughs> and usually I'm not the one to always harp on that. But um, if I had more time and money, I would get gigantic like pictures, you know, drawn you up and develop a whole story, <laughs> a whole backstory about them, right? Um, which I have been fortunate enough or in my lifetime so far to have had that opportunity, which is really fun. And I see a lot of advantages to that. However, I understand that not everyone has the time or patience or energy or budget to want to do a full-blown persona. So then you just kind of cherry pick what you think. With your UX person, you go through an internal interview together. What are these things we think that they need to gravitate towards? So we're going to just pull that out, make it brief, uh, make it easily consumable for our client, not scary, but at least we went through the exercise of actually having one. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it is actually only brought out in internal meetings because you start to get the sense of from your client, like, I'm not really keen to this. Right. They're going to, they don't care about personas or they're not going to warm up to it or they think it's silly or something, but you need still need the tool to sort of identify the user and how the user is going to. That's, that's another thing about being a project manager is knowing how to read a room and knowing how to read your clients and understanding when people are frustrated or they're like, yeah, that's pretty. Okay. Let's next, you know, um, it's definitely one of those skills that you need to have, um, and, and be very aware of, of people that you're dealing with. Because you might find it fun, but, you know, like, unfortunately, not everybody gravitates towards that. So, you know. <laughs> yep. That's definitely one skill you have to have as a project manager or producer, just to be able to read your people. Yeah. So um, anything about else about the UX process? So uh, one thing with the wireframes is uh, that... I, uh, at least in the projects that I've had is that sometimes clients just become so married to this. It's like 
it's like the be end all, you know, for them. They they can't let it go. A lot of times, like, you might go through and have some changes to it, but they're like, no, we saw this. We want this, you know? And you're like, okay, but we, we identified that there were some things that we needed to update or some things, but they're, they can't let it go, you know, because it's just the one thing that they've really held on to in the process. So I, I think that you, you just need to be really careful um, with clients about wireframes and um, making sure that as you go through the process, if anything has changed, that you update them and then maybe just send the file like, you know, back over to the client, here's the updated wireframe. You don't need to go through a presentation, but um, if in later phases, something's changed, you need to update other things. So are your wireframes, um, do you do them in like PDF or do you use a program for wireframes? We usually use a program. Yeah. Yeah, I'm big fans of Axure. Axure. Yeah. So um, a lot of times we will use Axure and then um, client will go back and we'll scrap something. But um, Axure is great because we can, you can create folders. And so we can just bury that in like a folder of like, you know, call it old or something like that. So, you know, because clients never change their mind. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if that does happen, a client changes their mind, you can just bring it out and you haven't you don't need to go back and redo anything or go back to an old PDF or anything. Um, unfortunately, um, I have yet to see any. Um, types of wireframing, and it might be out there, and if it is, love to know about it, um, that's affordable, where you could actually um, scale it for like mobile. Because right. a lot of times, like when you're showing it to clients, they're like, you know, ulti- they always say, you know, how's it gonna look in mobile? How's it gonna look on an iPad? What about a mini? What about this? Um, and so, you know, with all the different tools out there, there's always caveats because nothing's perfect. The technology landscape is changing so quickly that nobody pretty much can keep up, you know? Yeah. So well, you have to tell clients, like, it's not scaling for mobile, but th- these boxes would drop underneath each other and these would stack. And I actually have something to add. Um, Axure, and it depends on who you're working with. If you have a UX person that's actually, uh, keen on and knows how to do a little bit of coding. Mm-hmm. Axure allows them to use HTML to make breakpoints to then try and emulate um, oh, the mobile experience. Okay. Um, but we also find ourselves doing p- paper prototyping uh, just to kind of gracefully degrade that experience um, mm-hmm. for our clients. But yeah, Axure is one of our favorites because it also allows you, if you start making um, a more of an interactive or high fidelity wireframe, then it allows you to start doing some user testing. Now, maybe they're not users you're actually paying for, <laughs> maybe they're internal, um, other staff members that are have nothing to do with your project. You just throw a wireframe in front of them and say, okay, hey, click around, what did you think? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, I feel like our responsibility as producers, if you see a project or have a project where you have a client that's not willing to or doesn't have the budget to do that, then, hey, you know, we did this internally. I know you said you didn't have budget, but um, here's what we found out. Yeah. And, you know, we're in this phase to be able to do that because we're not at build yet, so it's not as expensive. Right. And think also think of the thing about wireframes is ensuring that you have client sign off because you should not be you shouldn't be going into the next phase until you have full sign off because if they can't agree um, or sign off on what you've produced you really don't have any business in going forward because it will come back to to bite you. So, how much content do you use or if any in wireframes? Oh, that's a this great debate. Gets tricky in this. <laughs> it's a great debate because um, we have I've worked with people uh, that want to use just warm ipsum right. But then I have worked with people that I want to put the real content in there. And so you, it's kind of lose-lose. If you work with Warren Ipsum, then you run into situations where you get the real content in and it's not fitting, right? If you work with the real content, you get clients and meetings that get hung up 
on. They're like, no, we changed this word. And you're like, yes, it we know. <laughs> They're like, but where's the, the content? Should it say this? And then all of a sudden you're like, this is a wireframe meeting and you guys are talking about content. And I'm losing the, I'm losing the room here, folks. I'm losing it. Right, right. So I've seen it go uh, where you use Lorem Ipsum and you use real content really well, either one. And I've also seen it go really bad, both sides. And I think that just comes down to being um, – getting to know your client, getting to know the level of the, their comfort level of of the situation. Because you do have clients that are like, I already have my content, here it is. And then so you can ask them as a producer, do you feel comfortable with the rest of your stakeholders if we actually use real assets, real mm-hmm. copy? You know, How do you feel about that? Do you think it's going to expedite the process or do you think it's going to hurt us? Because if it's going to hurt us, we'll pull it and we'll go ahead with proto-content or Greek, like you said earlier. Uh, and then I also have internal teams that are that feel very passionate one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because yeah, nobody feels passionate. <laughs> but the thing is also to understand is like, as a as a producer slash project manager, you can do everything. You know, you can have years of experience, and you can do everything that you can to develop these great relationships with your client and lead your team like the best you know captain in the world. And sometimes it just things just don't click and they don't really work and you're just you find yourself you know it's friday at 7 p.m and you're banging your head against a desk because you're like why like i'm doing everything you know i'm doing everything right it's just you know like but a lot of times you don't know maybe your clients have some internal struggle going on or there's something politically going on at their work and and that you're not privy to or changes to the project you know that don't affect you but affect that you know what i mean so it's like all these other factors and you kind of have to just be like just let it go and be like, it's not me. Like, I'm doing the best I can do, and that's all I can do. <laughs> what do you guys do here, Murmur? Well, for um, for wireframes, we, we don't put any content in. It basically just gray boxes. Yeah. So we'll just have a box that says copy here, you know, basically. Um, we'll try to label areas like this is where this content goes, and this is the header, and this is the photo, and this, you know. But, like, we, we don't put any actual content in there. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to do it we, that's just how we've done it <laughs> right right yeah there's um, pros to cons i think to every approach but um yeah the nice thing is is that it's very obvious that this is not their website you know it's mm-hmm. like this is just gray boxes basically right and that's one of the arguments where uh we, the the teams that are pro know we don't use any content is so that it's like hitting someone over the head with this is not your website. Right. These are gray boxes. <laughs> and then you have the other team that's like, no, we want to use their real content because we feel like it's going to expedite things. Mm-hmm. And then the client's not uneasy about these gray boxes. And it starts to, and you know, I'm I'm for putting content in in boxes um, in the wireframes because I do feel like um, it starts to make it more real for your client. It just, it, you know what I mean? And it starts to identify any potential issues where the client is writing a tremendous or the, the content is just so long. You're like, really? Like, this is a lot of scrolling. This is a lot of reading. You know, they're going to spend, you know, 20 seconds on this page and you probably have three minutes of, yeah. of content. So probably prepares your designers too a little bit better right. so they can like think, oh, what are we going to do with this much content, you know, when we get to the design phase. Right. Like, do we have to chunk up that content or do we have to add some images or what's the background? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we've started incorporating our designers um, into this process more into working with our cross-team collaboration with the UX so that we don't, we avoid the emotions and feelings aspect of the UX person putting in content Mm -hmm. because there's that defensive mode of, 
hey, here are the wireframes, here are the images we selected, and then you have your design team. It's like, well, that's not what we would have put in there. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And then so we, yeah. we figured out if we just bridge, because everyone's still like, they got their area of practice and they're, they're in their own silos, so we're bridging them together. And this is also the, the point of, in the process, you really need to start bringing in, you know, your tech leader, your dev team, or whomever that is, um, because anything that you're showing to the client, you better make sure that you can actually build it out in the time frame that you have and in the budget that, that you have. Right. This is ideally, it would be awesome if you could have your technical and functional requirements already written, but we're in the real world and that doesn't always happen. <laughs> right. right. That, that happens after. So then this, that's why we bring in our tech leads to then have them start asking those questions. And then so, so then our UX person or even the producer can start annotating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so once you get sign off from the client about the wireframes and the sitemap and the user flow, um, we move into the design phase. And this is this is the one that clients are really jazzed about. You have their full attention. You have the attention of like all the stakeholders, all hands are on board. You know, you're just like you're kind of this is pretty much for us is like the middle to tr starting to get to you know, the closer to the end of the project because design usually moves fairly quickly. It's very exciting and um, yeah, I, it's one of my favorite. I think I say that about all of them now. It's my favorite. <laughs> that's my favorite phase. Um, well, that's a good sign of, uh, of what we do though. Because yeah. uh, you have people coming in and out of your project, but as a producer or project manager, they're through the whole thing, you know, so it's... It, it's it your kinda, baby. They kind of all yeah. have to be your yeah. favorite. <laughs> So I, ma I imagine you do design in rounds. Yes. Um, what are the first sort of things you present to the client as far as well, design so goes? First, we need to get things from them. So we need to get, um, you know, what kind of fonts they're using, imagery, you know, feelings of the site. You know, are we doing any type of filters on the images? Like, you know, some idea about that. Um, so a lot of times we might ask them, you know, if we're either reskinning or even building out something new, um, you know, what are the things that you absolutely love visually, you know, websites, and what are the things that you absolutely hate? And the ones that they dislike or hate, those tell you a lot about, you know, what not to build and, right. and just different elements of just don't even incorporate that, don't even go down that road. Um, and it allows you to use the time that you have in the project and the rounds a lot more efficiently. So, you know, inspiration sites, um, a lot of times mood boards um, a lot of my clients have existing you know um, standards for fonts and imagery and things like that so we don't have a big sandbox to play in so it's, it's pretty minimal of what we're going to be delivering to them um, my clients are ongoing clients and we've done a lot of projects with them so we know kind of what the look and feel of, of what they want yeah, um, so we can yeah so we can move you know pretty quickly yeah, um, we also take another approach, and this is where you rely heavily on your CD or your ACD, um, creative director, for those who don't know, but <laughs> I, 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 that's one of my pet peeves as a, as a PM is don't, and I go and use an acronym, right? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of did that to be funny there. Um, try not to yeah, limit your acronym usage, because not everyone speaks your language. So... Basically, you let the creative director d determine, and this is also like a, a partnership, what kind of client are they? Do you think they're going to respond well if we break things out and do a, an atomic design approach, right? Or do you think they're going to respond well to mood boards? Some people are get really confused. Like, is this my site? Or why are you showing me random pictures for me to respond to? <laughs> Wait, atomic design, what's that? Uh, so I wish, I wish our creative director was here, Damon. 
shout out to him too. Uh, he's got this approach that if we're doing more of a software application build, he pulls out these components. So if you think of like atoms and molecules, he, he starts to present these things to the client in bite-sized chunks in phases. So then if you hit three rounds of design, you end up getting the whole package, but it's broken down into more consumable things. And he would be able to speak to it way better than me because that's his area of expertise. Uh, but it's quite fascinating if you get the opportunity to present creative that way uh, versus something that we normally do where it's, okay, round one is maybe the home screen and then you move into a, a couple other key screens and then finally round three, ideally you're, you have not the whole site design because that's pretty much impossible. You have all your templates. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that's typically how we run website designs currently. But like I said, software application stuff, we get to break things out into different um, atoms and molecules. I wish he was here to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been sort of experimenting with creating, uh, I don't know if this is a proper term, but like a pattern library for the website, basically sort of like these are the fonts and these are the colors and these are the... Yep. Your you style know. guide. Yep. Yeah, basically style guide. Mm -hmm. I'm in love with style guides, by the way. Everybody should have one, every company. It makes it so much easier when you can go to, you know, it, use, it utilizes an agency's resources much more efficiently if you know what you want other than like, well, we think we like blue and you're like, oh my goodness, there's like 85 million different shades of blue, yeah. you know, and then are we going to do a gradient on it, you know, like... <laughs> right, and, and your, um, your front end dev... Your dev team loves the style guide. Yeah, yeah. I, see, I see that uh, that deliverable kind of sometimes get overlooked, uh, client side and internal. And when when a style guide is done well, it's such a great thing, and your developers are so happy. Yeah, happy. yeah. It definitely came from requests from our developers <laughs> was how we started building those. Um, but uh, yeah, and and you know we just I mean we're constantly changing up our process. We were using. Um, we just started using InDesign so we can actually create InVision, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can create web designs that are actually, you know, relatively functional. InVision's yeah. great because then you can also have clients can like annotate, you know, write notes on that right. exact page instead of being like, well, on slide six, it was, you know, it's hard for them. And it, yeah, it really captures like the essence of what they're thinking, the moment at which they're thinking it. And yeah. I'm so true. I love talking about the, the tools. Um, so you know, when we were doing this years and years back, you, you'd presented PDFs with, you know, your designer was making them in Photoshop and mm -hmm. changes were just like, uh. So now we moved into this world of using Sketch and I've heard such great things from the design team and the development team about how efficient it is. And we've taken, or we watch our design team take these files and move them into something like Envision or we love using Marvel. Mm -hmm. uh, that's our prototyping software that we use presentations or we, yeah, we have present presentations uh, to our clients, and and it's really fun and fascinating because it's more interactive, like you alluded to, and clients actually can go and click on the navigation, something drops down. The only thing, the only downside I've seen is, yeah, responsive. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Yep. I know. Yeah. And so that's where the producer comes in, like, 75 times. This is not yeah. really how it's going to work. And then there are parameters that uh, the visual design team can set, to help with that, but when you hand off that link to Envision or Marvel, and you have your client playing around with it, um, some expectations are misaligned. So that is uh, one of the challenges that I've noticed. When, but, without but one of the static. things is in design, it, like I worked on a really small, real fast project for um, a local company, and they asked for 
mobile and um, desktop comps, you know, mm-hmm. in, in every round. And we were like, really? Like, okay. Like, so, and we're like, well, that means that we're only going to be it for the first round. We're only going to be able to build out the homepage. And then the second one, whereas like for a smaller project that is really fast and, you know, we don't have um, a lot a huge sandbox to play in design wise where we would have been able to build out more pages. But because of that, you know, asking for, you know, basically, you know, two comps for each design, you know, like, yeah. So it's, it takes a little bit longer. Yeah. We would, I mean, ideally probably produce mobile or tablet or something like that, like earlier on, but it usually doesn't happen until mm-hmm. like the last round where we do some. Well, yeah, because it's yeah. like, because then you go to your designer and you're like, hey, they want a mobile comp. And they're like, they haven't decided. Like, <laughs> you know, like we're, we're not using the budget in the most efficient way um, by, you know, every, you know, by basically duplicating the work on every round. Yeah. It's really fun and a joy to work with a client that wants you to prioritize mobile. Um, you know, wherever they learn that from, you're just like, can I keep you? Yeah. <laughs> right. So they'll set those expectations with their other stakeholders. Like, no, we asked them for mobile comps. And then the design team's like, whoa, this is crazy. I don't ever really get to do this, but I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, so yeah, it's funny because people come to you and say, we want mobile first, but then yeah. you don't get around to it right. till round three. They're, they're not making decisions on desktop and you're, you're just, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's where people want to be awed by their website is on a desktop computer. You know, they, even though they may intellectually know that 60% of their customers are on mobile, they mm-hmm. still are kind of like, I want to see the big picture version of my website. You oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. It's a, even difficult for us because probably most people, probably people are looking on 13 inch screens on their laptops more often than mm-hmm. big desktop. I, I mean, how many people, unless you work in design or you work in video or something like that, who's got those big monitors anymore? Like yeah. nobody. So oh, yeah. that reminds me of something I love talking about. Um, do you ever get asked about or to talk about above the fold, below the fold? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we still, we still use the term. I mean, it's it, in a way it's kind of unavoidable. Um, but when we think of below the fold, we usually try to think of it on like a small screen. <laughs> right. So there's this site that I found, um, this great front end developer we used to work with, sent it over to us. And it actually, if you plug, I can't remember, I'll have to follow up with you to give you the site that we found because mm-hmm. it's a great tool. If you plug in your client's website, it shows them like the last hundred visitors and where they actually, um, entered the site of their window size. Oh, wow. So you it helps you with that, um, make the case with content that's above the fold and below the fold and actually proves that not every user is coming in at, at their laptop size that you have and that, that people are accessing your site at all different sorts of windows right you know window sizes and this monitors also, this also brings up an, a great point um at this round you know at this phase you're getting feedback from other stakeholders because of course you know your counterpart your client um you know sending the link off you know here's you know design round one blah blah, blah and people are getting feedback is very clearly this is the point at which you know you need to have the conversation with your client about the browser support and that should be written into your your contract or your sow or whatever is like here are the browsers that we support the devices that we support and making that you know very clear to them because a lot of times that we find that like top stakeholders you know whether it's like CEOs, presidents, and companies, sometimes they're like using a really outdated version of IE. Oh, and you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, like, how could you be using this? You know, like, I don't even know what to say about this. Or, you know, they're just, they're very, um, they're just not technically savvy. And they, they of course, are not going to admit it. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of cases, you know, people hear about CEOs that have, you know, all their emails printed out for them because they refuse to use a computer. Or maybe they only want to use, you know, their, you know, their reader, you know, their, yeah, so their Kindle device or something like that. So um, it's really important um, as you are, 
slinging these links back and forth and you're getting feedback is to really clearly articulate to your client what browsers, you know, like, you know, we build for these, this was written into the contract, we can't support, you know, anything below that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lo- that's such a good point that you bring up. I love asking my point of contact, okay, so what are your analytics on, you know, what, what device usage and what uh, browsers people are using so that we know what to actually build for by your popular user base? And then I also ask, what are your main stakeholders yeah. and what do you use at your, oh, at your company? Yeah. So when we're in QA, we're prioritizing the way that it looks on an iPad or, oh, wow, you guys are real old school corporate and have not upgraded like, your like IE8 eight or seven. Yeah. These are know? important things to know so that, um, so that obviously, you know, two things. One, you're building the right product for the, the mass users. And then two, you're also killing it in the QA phase, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's like trying to, one of the projects that I'm in right now, we're having to support a lot of browsers, including IE7. And it's like, you know, clients don't understand the kind of the extra work that comes in that. Like they want, you know, the best experience in, for IE7. And it's like, if it works in, you know, Chrome and Safari and, you know, in iOS, you know, we can't have this kind of functionality in IE7. You're going to have to give that up. And um, for them, that's kind of sometimes a hard pill for them to swallow because they're like, we paid you this money. And it's like, yes, you did pay us this money and this is what we're going to give you. But, you know, what you're asking for is more than like almost anybody could do. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you kind of become the, the not so nice producer (laughs) and you call on the help of your uh, trusted tech leads to come and help you support that conversation. Yeah. And a lot of times this is also the, in this design phase is when you, a lot of times will start, um, having to write change orders and it's a very, and you know, setting client expectations. And those can be some very uncomfortable conversations. And my advice to anybody who ever like, you know, feels trepidation towards it is just get it out of the way. Like stop thinking about it, write the email, send it to your coworker, be like, how does this sound? And just send over the change order. Don't, you know, don't put it off because the longer you put it off, it's just, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> and then the client's going to be like, where did this come from? And you're like, yeah. Yeah, always once once that uh, conversation, we're kind of derailing, but I mean, it's a good point. Uh, once we have to have that conversation, I, I always get on the phone too, to have those. It, in person, it's even better. And then we've started- To give them a heads up a lot of times, like this is coming over. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anytime we have to deal with money, um, super transparent. And we've started incorporating $0 change orders. And it's not this like- reinventing the wheel or anything it's you know old school thinking but it's nice to just tally up okay we're going to give you this one because agencies do that you know we go in knowing that we're going to go ahead and give them some freebies but what are we going to use it on so if we keep record of all of that then it helps have that uh, conversation go a little bit smoother when you actually have to charge on a real change order yeah yeah Yeah, that makes sense do you how how do you guys um, track um, time on projects um, so we use software, you know. That's a fun question. So we use like Harvest. Okay, use Harvest. Yeah, we mm-hmm. we use software. We uh, use I don't know how many time tracking software things that we use. Right. I'm sure this is not new to anyone. Um, what's interesting though, we can dig deeper to that question. Is I've noticed different areas of practice track time differently, and people don't like to submit time. It's mm-hmm. no fun. Yeah. So this is the not fun part of our job yeah. as a producer. Because you have to go to somebody and you're like, you know, they're like, you know, I I get a timesheet from so and so, and you know, it shows like you know, 30 hours of work, and it's like, well, you were out at this time and this time, and you know, and then I saw you on Facebook, and then you went for a really long run and two long lunches, and you were in. <laughs> (laughs) late or out early and it's like and it it, you know and that's the part of like having the multiple skill set is 
is like sometimes you have to because ultimately your job is to lead the project and it has to be you know on time and on budget and unfortunately like if you are you know have respect for your coworkers and for your clients and then you just handle this in a it's not personal um, a lot of people, you know, they take it personally, both, you know, internal and, and external teams, but you just have to handle it in a very, you know, it's not personal. And as long as you have the data behind you to back it up, then you're not doing anything wrong. It's when you start, you know, it, it becomes personal, then that crosses a line that you should never go. Yeah. And I also find time tracking super valuable. Like if you're working in a, a situation where you're with a client and that you have a more of a maintenance or a retainer, mm-hmm. they want to see those reports. Right. So Harvest is a great tool that export it really quickly. And then, you know, you can play around with the Excel spreadsheet the way that you want to deliver it. Um, so that's always really important. And then also often producers have to manage their independent contractors. Mm-hmm. So then you set up at the beginning of the project um, some sort of agreement, how they're going to submit their time to you. And then it's our responsibility to then put that data into the spreadsheet so then we can communicate um, to the powers that be with all the finances. But yeah, our huge advice is full transparency with with time internally and, and as much as you can externally with clients. Yeah. So I had a, had a client once um, and they were, they had a little bit of frustration around kind of in the design phase that they felt like maybe we weren't capturing their thoughts and, you know, and we kind of felt like you're being kind of nebulous in what the feedback that you're providing. And so um, bless her heart. She, uh, she wanted our creatives to work in what she called a time box. You work on this for two hours and then send it over to me and then I'll, I'll give feedback and then you spend another two hours. And uh, like, out of my and we're in a face-to-face meeting with the creatives and out of the corner of my eye I could see the creatives face and I was just like oh lordy <laughs> and I was like so basically we're gonna break our and I'm thinking this is internal like we're gonna break our you know uh, waterfall approach to project management to go into agile for the, like this isn't even agile this is like this is not gonna happen you know so it was like it was a really like I could understand from her point of view it made total sense she was like very analytical like you know like were you th- you know I'm helping you guys and the creative was like this is not how I work. <laughs> so. Oh, that's so true. And creative is the, I think, the biggest area of practice that is like, you want me to do what and how long? Like, you know, they need to be inspired and they need all the time that they can possibly have. And to put them in a box of two hours is just, yeah. it kills, it kills that inspiration. Yeah. I'm um, so also just wanted to mention this part of the pro in the design phase is like when we normally start to, uh, especially towards the end of design, we start seeing project fatigue. So as project managers, how do you rally the troops? Because you still have a little bit more left to go, you know. So um, this is when bribery comes into play, you know. Uh, Bring in donuts, you know. Ask your bosses if there is a little bit of budget to take the folks out, the troops out for drinks or bring in lunch or something like that. Or, you know, sometimes like Chris is really great about it. Um, Bringing in small tokens of appreciation for somebody working extra hours or doing something. Um, And she does hers with usually beer or alcohol. (laughs) I do. I find out whatever favorite uh, beer is I'll surprise yeah. yeah sometimes we'll bring in um our boss will let us go out and we'll bring in like cookies in the afternoon and you know you get a bunch of people you know around two o'clock who've eaten a bunch of cookies and suddenly magic happens in the agency so yeah secret tools of the trade yeah cookies and beer yeah <laughs> that'll fuel anybody towards the finish line well let's um let's get to talking about the development phase mm-hmm. Um, so once you get um, sign off from your clients th- about all the different rounds of reviews um, and they've agreed that, yes, we're ready to move forward, um, usually uh, the 
dev team comes in right before, probably a week or so, at least in, in my experience, a week or two before the project, ha the designs have been approved and they start setting up all of their different environments and they start having their internal um, conversations about you know either resourcing or how things are gonna be set up or various questions. Uh, you definitely wanna make sure that they're involved, especially really, really working very closely with design at the very end of the design phase um, so that they, one, it's more efficient because you're already holding meetings invite them in so that they can start asking some questions or just start observing. Yeah, this phase is bringing everything to life. Uh, we call it a barreling towards the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I work with the, our clients, I often tell them that we're, we're going to go dark for a little bit and it's totally normal. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more status meetings with me and my client just to talk about you know, tying up loose ends, talking about content again. Mm -hmm. um, just check, there's a lot of check or boxes to be checked in this phase. Like um, if the IT team from their side needs to be involved, do we need to be talking about um, securing licensing, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's also a very nervous time for yes. a project manager. You're kind of just like, your insides are like just knotted up and you're like, oh, please <laughs> let it go well, let it go well, yeah. you know, and you're just like, and you also want to make sure a normal reaction of like, of being of having a lot of stress is and a lot of worry is to micromanage people and so you have to make sure d development people they do not like to be micromanaged let them sit in their black clothes and and uh, you know with headphones on and let them work you know like they don't need you hovering over their shoulder no matter how much you want to do um so like you know obviously you want to Make sure you have the appropriate amount of check-ins with the internal team and then, you know, relaying to the client. I like to tell the clients what's going on, even if they don't understand. I'm like, well, so they set up the dev server and then, you know, they, they've run, you know, gone through this page and now they're, you know, doing the, you know, they don't really understand, but sometimes clients just like to hear yeah. um, what's going on. Understand that it means progress, whatever yeah. it means, yeah. it means progress. Yeah. They're like, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> you guys are going great, you know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, the common question is, when do we get to see beta? Yeah. When do yeah. we get the beta? Link? When do we get the link? When do we get the link? Yeah, yeah, that, that one's real fun. I'm always like, Godspeed, dev team. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, dev teams usually their timelines a lot of times get shortened up because other phases might take longer. You know, the client, no matter what, how, how long, you know, research or you know UX takes, clients always want to launch at a specific time. And so, dev teams, you're like, I'm so sorry, but can we make this happen? And you know, a lot of times um, the teams can, but sometimes you just have to go back and it's uh, setting expectations for your client saying, you know what, I'm sorry, but due to this, we just really can't. Here's, here's, and you, I always try to tell my clients, here's the efficiencies that we're trying to do. We've done this, 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 and this, but this means this for you. Um, as long as you can show them that you are, you know, working in their best interest, because if you rush dev, it will come back to bite you in the ass because something will be wrong at the end. And it's usually big time wrong. It's not like, you know, something, you know, there's a URL that's incorrect or, you know, a page has the wrong content on it. It's usually really, really bad. It's usually a misalignment of, of business rules I see is um, once you start queuing internally or even share the beta link, what's wrong in development is um, well, we understood this way or yeah. something to be built this way. And that's a total misalignment on what they actually needed. So then there's a lot of tweaking after beta's out. Um, you know, development's a time where I highly recommend to producers and project managers to, if you're building something on Drupal, for example, or Express in the Engine, start studying up on things that your development team, um, you know that they're gonna be using, like different modules, or start getting familiar with things that you need to then teach your client or present. Um, Alita and I are responsible for actually writing 
the CMS documentation with our developers, our back-end mm -hmm. developers, and we're in a position where we're, we're solely responsible for actually training our clients on the application mm -hmm. or the CMS. And so that's really, really fun for me. It's also really nerve wracking because we are not the ones that actually are building it. Right. So this is my prime time to uh, cram if I don't know something already um, and I'm studying and I'm reading and, you know, how can I break this very complex system and, and the way data works down for my client and for so that I can understand so that I can sound smart when I present it to them on training day. Yeah, and there's a lot of like hand holding at this point with the client because they're getting really nervous because they've usually championed for this budget for this project, you know, their reputation is on the line if this doesn't go well. It's very important for the project manager to be very, you know, very calm, very focused during this time because people are looking to you to be the leader. And if you're freaking out, they're going to freak out. So you're just like, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of like yoga at this point. A lot, I, mean, I, I run a lot. Chris uh -huh. uh, and I, we do a lot of yoga. You know, we just want to stay very calm. You know, remember, you know, it's all going to be fine. You know, nobody's going to die. You know, it's all good. You know, so um. I love saying that to clients. I mean, I don't, I, some of them you can say no one's going to die, but I usually break it down into, you know, the beautiful thing about the way technology works and the web works is we can actually fix that faster. Yeah. It's not like when you send something to print yeah. and you make a typo and print, that's yeah. a really big deal. Um, so I, I, kind of use that scenario um, because a lot of our clients do have print backgrounds or they're in comms mm -hmm. teams or PR teams and they're used to sending something to print and it, they're having a mistake. So when I tell them, yeah, but with digital and with your website, mm -hmm. we can actually fix it faster than that and it's not as expensive. And I see a lot of sense of relief, like physical relief in their faces. Mm -hmm. Even if it's over a Google Hangout in a conference and you have a horrible yeah. screen, you can still tell there's like this, their shoulders relax, right? <laughs> like, oh, they didn't think about that. That's right, it's digital, we can change. Well, yeah. and a lot of, forever and a lot of times time. too it's like maybe something came up or like oh we need to fix this but we don't have this yet or we need to change this and you're like we can always launch on time and then like you know after everything's fine then we can go in and change it you know it's it's all good you know so there's you know it's the web you know nothing's really permanent there oh you bring up a great point um also in this phase what we love doing is um start strategizing about what what you can do post right yeah. so you're mm -hmm. you're what's what's next because once you launch it it's not like here you go you're done it's like bye-bye no yeah no <laughs> this is an investment that your clients making that you can continue to optimize and scale and so it's a i find it my responsibility to figure out what can we be doing yep. next yeah. right you know this is an end-all be-all like there's some things that we can be doing that are really cool and what are those things and let's start setting up time to talk about them so inevitably, you're going to end up on launch day. And so um, every agency I've ever worked for, they never launch on a Friday because that means you will be working over the weekend. <laughs> right. So, you know, launch on, you know, Monday, you're never ready. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays are usually great times. Um, you know, because we're in a Pacific Standard Time, a lot of our clients might be outside of that. We can use the time zones to our benefit. So we can launch later, not, you know, not midnight or something like that, but we can launch later. And um, there's no repercussions to their overall website or app or whatever it is. With an app, it's easy because it's like you can hand off an IPA file, you know, to do whatever environment they're going to upload it into. So 
obviously that's a lot easier. But yeah, so we generally set up a command center. We have a whole like launch plan set up, um, like who's on deck, who's responsible. Um, try to make it fun, you know, bringing in food and having music and just and that that's the point where I think having an event background really helps because you can like you make it fun and it's like you know it's a launch. It's not a launch. It's a launch party, you know. So you're like yeah. Um, we're always like, yeah, well, we can bring in champagne when we launched because, you know, when you launch, it's like hitting a button and you're like, you know, it's it's kind of anticlimactic. But everybody at that point usually wants to just go home and then it's like, you know, two days later, then you actually celebrate. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan <laughs> um, and a huge tip for other producers is celebrate. Yeah, celebrate yeah. your launch. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be the next day, but like a week later. Do something for your internal team, the project team, and then also include the client. You know, mm-hmm. they are your partners and they went through this crazy thing with you together you you know you have this um it's your relationship and you you have this final product and let's celebrate it it's Take usually when they want to drink and they're yeah. like we're taking you out for drinks and you're like yes you are <laughs> <laughs> so um and then i am a big fan and most of the um, agencies i've worked for over the last years um do retrospectives and i think retrospectives are really really important and i always say that a retrospective is like the interviews on behind the music because it's like the real story because usually people have this they might have like something they've been holding like you didn't do this you know designer or development you said this or whatever or project manager and you just like you need to get it out because you're going to continue to work with these individuals and so um a lot of agencies will do internal and external um so you'll do the retrospective with a client those ones are hard sometimes. They're very hard. Because it's like how you kind of didn't do your job. I've had a lot of really great ones, but I've had some that are just like, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, this is where I also like to bring my post-it note exercise back in. You know, you bring up what was established at kickoff, and then you also do another exercise where you just go around the room and you write down what went well and then what didn't go well. And um, especially if you're going to have a partnership in the future, you, you can – make action items out of it to um, have your client know that you're you're going to be held accountable to becoming better for them. And as a producer, we run those. So it's always, I always have an objective of like addressing the white elephant in the room. I say, if we declare something not weird now, we're good. So if you have some not so nice feedback, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're human. Yeah. It usually makes everyone relax at that point and then the good usually weighs out the bad yeah yeah yeah. so yeah so that's that's uh our process right there that's it i think we just built a website yeah yeah Yeah. we built a great app everybody's gonna love it it's it's gonna be number um, one in the apple store i have an anonymous quote to share that i wrote down um that i think is going to resonate with this audience listening to this podcast i once had a client say what could possibly go wrong on launch day Generally, we laugh really, really hard, I mean, you know, like belt, deep belly laugh because it's like it's or, you know, it's like the how hard can it be? You know, and you're like, oh, Lordy, Lordy. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. Yeah. But Our, we built a website. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, you guys, so much for coming and sharing. This is, has been very educational and enlightening, and I'm sure my audience will appreciate it as well. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for yeah, having us. Absolutely. It's, like, it's our pleasure. If you want to get a hold of us, we love to meet new people in the area and chat. All right. Well, I can, I can put some, you know, Twitter handles or something like that on the, uh, on the website when we post it. So. Yeah. Sounds great. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.